The Food and Drug Administration decided earlier this year to regulate electronic cigarettes as tobacco products rather than drug delivery devices, a decision that has implications for the future of the industry and perhaps the potential future of e-cigarettes as smoking cessation aids. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Nathan Cobb, an attending physician in pulmonary and critical care medicine at Georgetown University Hospital. Dr. Cobb has co-authored a perspective article on the regulation of e-cigarettes and the demise of combusted tobacco. Dr. Cobb, can you give us some insight into the FDA's decision to view e-cigarettes as tobacco products in their regulatory actions? What were the agency's primary considerations? Well, I think the FDA was sort of backed into a corner with this, and I'm not sure it's what they wanted to do, but it's certainly, at the end of the day, the only choice they had. Several years ago, they started with the intent to regulate e-cigarettes as drug delivery devices, which in a purely technical standpoint, they certainly are. They're devices, electrical devices, which are designed to deliver a drug, nicotine. But at that point, they were blocked by the courts from doing so, in part because regulations designed to sort of overhaul a lot of our tobacco policy had basically said that anything that contains tobacco is to be regulated as a tobacco product, sort of blocking the FDA from even considering them as drug delivery devices. Oddly enough, an e-cigarette, which I think for most of us when we look at it, doesn't literally contain tobacco, but the courts also held that anything that's derived entirely from tobacco, i.e. nicotine, makes it a tobacco product. So from a purely legalistic standpoint, electronic cigarettes are tobacco and thus are a tobacco product. You argue in your article that if e-cigarettes are thoughtfully regulated, they could play the same role as nicotine replacement therapy, but at a population scale. There's debate about that among anti-tobacco advocates, some of whom see e-cigarettes as another potential pathway to tobacco use, tobacco addiction. So how does the FDA's action play into that debate? I think part of the question is, what is an e-cigarette? And the funny thing, if you look at the FDA's regulations, they never say what an e-cigarette is. In reality, if you go back through a lot of debate, both among the public health community as well as sort of at the policy level, There is no clear definition of what an e-cigarette is, because at the end of the day, a definition has to be binding to some degree, and that actually means to regulation. So an e-cigarette is essentially whatever a manufacturer calls an e-cigarette. In the cases of most devices that you might buy if you went into a store, and often the ones that frankly are heavily advertised from larger companies, they're usually purchasing their nicotine out of the same supply chains as the pharmaceutical industry. It's the same drug. Now, that doesn't mean that smaller companies aren't buying their nicotine from other channels. Classically, one of the channels for sale for nicotine was for pesticides. There's no regulation to say what you get. But for the larger companies, basically what they're doing is they're selling pharmaceutical nicotine. They're just selling it and packaging it in a different way. One of the interesting things, when you look back over the wealth of research we have over the past number of years on nicotine replacement, is that for the most part, All nicotine replacement products have worked, whether it's the patch, the gum, the nasal spray, the inhaler, the lozenge, they all work, and they all work within sort of a fairly well-defined therapeutic window. So the question is, should we, when we see a new product, which is refined nicotine and it's the same pharmaceutical drug, should we expect it to fit within that window or should we expect it to be significantly different? A lot of proponents of these devices claim that actually that they're going to be more effective than nicotine replacement because they solve all sorts of problems around consumer demand. Other people look at them and say, well, people aren't going to use them the way they were recommended, the way we recommend nicotine replacement to be used, 
so they won't work as well. I think the reality is that we should probably expect them to fit somewhere within that window, but only if they are regulated to the point where when somebody goes out and buys one, they actually know that the nicotine is pharmaceutical-grade nicotine, that it's safe, and that the amount of nicotine in the device and the amount of nicotine that it delivers is what the manufacturer is claiming. But without regulation, if you buy one of these devices, you have no idea where the nicotine came from, and you actually have no idea how much nicotine you're going to get when you puff on one. You note in your article that big tobacco companies that make e-cigarettes have a vested interest in developing variants that are increasingly addictive. But is it possible that restrictions, regulations will be gradually tightened so that these projects are allowed to contain less nicotine over time? I think our hope in the public health community has always been that rather than tightening restrictions on nicotine, clean nicotine products, that we would let those be easier to get into the hands of smokers. So, for example, making the patch or the nicotine inhaler easier to get while tightening the screws essentially on big tobacco and decreasing the amount of nicotine in combusted tobacco particularly. This has always been the dream, and it's been very difficult politically to get to, although it's still an important goal to shoot for, and I think it's important that the public health community continue to make its case for it. The tobacco companies obviously have no interest in seeing the amount of nicotine in their heavily addictive products be decreased. Once, if you decrease the amount of nicotine in cigarette or another combusted product, people just aren't going to use them anymore. It would be the death, the demise of the combusted tobacco industry. And that's the goal. The real question is, how do policymakers find a path that regulates electronic cigarettes so that the tobacco companies don't create highly addictive models in ways that we haven't seen out of nicotine replacement products, and simultaneously find ways to keep the tobacco companies from continuing to create synergistic pathways for electronic cigarettes and combusted tobacco, where they're designing both sets of products to perpetuate their existing multi-billion dollar industry of combusted tobacco. So in that regard, some companies are apparently working on e-cigarettes that can achieve alveolar deposition and arterial delivery of nicotine, like combustible tobacco. And you argue that that would blur the risk perception so that smokers wouldn't see any reason, any health reason, to switch from smoking to vaping. Where's that going? We don't know. And I think from a personal standpoint, my guess is that the companies that do have this technology sort of on the back burner right now are waiting to see how the regulations pan out. My assumption is that they would like to see is that for the FDA and other regulatory agencies sort of take a light regulation approach before they come in with more sophisticated products that blur the lines of what exists. So if they can get to a regulatory system, which basically shrugs and says, you know what, electronic cigarettes are all the same. We don't need a definition because we already know what they are. And they sort of look like nicotine replacement therapy, which we know is safe. Then a year or two down the line, they can start shifting into the product pipeline, more addictive products. In this case, I think one of the biggest fears is that much like with traditional drug delivery devices from a pulmonary standpoint, we've worked long and hard to figure out how to get alveolar deposition for certain drugs, for example, inhaled steroids. If they can crack that problem, which they appear to have, then they can start creating electronic cigarettes, which give that instantaneous rush like a combusted cigarette and have the same addiction potential and liability. And that completely changes the nature of these devices. They go from being something that, again, is 
fairly similar to existing nicotine replacement devices to something that could be heavily addictive and the tobacco companies could use again to prop up their existing combusted tobacco line as a person using an e-cigarette wouldn't gradually get a baseline level of nicotine, which gradually might help them wean off. Rather, they just get those spikes of or hits of nicotine, which would perpetuate their addiction. In one area, big tobacco companies seem to have gotten in ahead of the FDA. The FDA proposed waiting two years before warning labels and safety and quality standards would go into effect. But companies have voluntarily begun putting extensive warnings on their e-cigarette labels. Why do you think they're doing that? It's worthwhile remembering that there are really two industries here, or there are two sets of companies. There's the small independent manufacturers, and I say small, and that can mean anything from a couple of people making them in their back bedroom, to venture-backed companies with tens of millions of dollars worth of revenues. Those companies have one set of interests, and they're basically trying to steal market share. They're trying to get smokers who are smoking existing combusted cigarettes to smoke their electronic cigarettes. And they're able to do that, and they're actually able to make a real business out of that. They don't necessarily have to keep those folks addicted for a long time. They don't have to keep them addicted forever. They just have to keep them using their products at enough of a rate where they can generate revenue and a profit. And that's basically most electronic cigarette companies right now. But you turn that around and you look at big tobacco, and they have a very different set of interests. They have to protect their existing market. They have to protect their shareholders. They have to protect their revenues. So the big companies have actually come out with some of their devices recently with fairly scary sets of warnings, which exceed anything the FDA has proposed. And this is presumably to try and put a stake in the stand and to start to move some of the conversations around regulation in ways that benefit them than their ability to work in more constrained environments, meaning more regulation, more monitoring, and more requirements for laboratory analysis. The smaller companies, I think, have been caught a little bit off guard, and some of them have not been very good about trying to put safety information or doing anything like making their products be child or tamper-resistant. And so they've, I think, been caught in the middle are some of them sort of the mid-sized companies have seen this company have fairly reasonable warnings um, and have been working hard to try and match what I think most people expected would come out of the FDA in terms of safety and warning regulations. With all of that, what are the next steps for the FDA? I think that's a good question, and I think there's the next steps that the FDA will likely take, and then there's the next steps that hopefully they'll be prodded to take. Within what they've proposed, it's got a fairly long lead time, which is understandable, I think, if you're a small manufacturer that you would want enough lead time to sort of meet these regulations. But the reality is that I can't imagine another product on the market being exempt from sort of pretty typical product safety regulation, again, like tamper-resistant packaging to keep kids from getting into nicotine and potentially overdosing, or disclosures of what's in it, supply chain monitoring. We've had some pretty terrible cases of poisoning from the same humectants or carriers that are used in most of these devices when they've been used in beauty products or Tylenol solution, for example. So I think and I hope that the FDA is going to take another look at this and say, you know what, we're not going to wait on the safety regulations. We're going to push those into place really quickly. And manufacturers that can't prove that they make reasonably safe product shouldn't be on the market. But right now, they actually have a considerable amount of running room. And I think there's the longer issue of what happens from a political standpoint, as well as from sort of an advocacy standpoint from the public health community, about convincing the FDA that perhaps we need more of a long-term view of this. We need to try and figure out how these devices fit into 
a bigger game plan that slowly, again, puts the squeeze on combusted tobacco, prevents big tobacco from creating devices that it can use for its own purposes, and also starts to shift the needle so that people are more likely to use clean nicotine products, whether it's nicotine replacement or e-cigarettes, and less likely to use combusted products, which hopefully the FDA can start to look again at ways to, and they are empowered to do this if they so choose, to start to bring the amount of nicotine content in combusted cigarettes down someplace near zero. Finally, while we watch this play out, what kind of advice should physicians be giving their patients about e-cigarettes right now? I think this comes up a lot. Both I get the question from other physicians and I get the questions from patients. And I think the first answer is if you've quit smoking and you've done that using an e-cigarette, don't change what you're doing, right? The most important thing is that you've quit and don't rock the boat. Like any other product, whether it's the nicotine patch and nicotine gum or an e-cigarette, if you've gotten off combusted cigarettes, then I'd suggest you try and get yourself off the nicotine as well. That's the easy answer. That's the answer that's basically the same as nicotine replacement therapy, right? Don't go back to smoking. Try and get yourself off the nicotine as well when you can. But then there's the question of a what of a patient who comes in and says, I want to quit. I've tried a bunch of methods. None of them work very well. Should I try the e-cigarette? Is it different? And I think the answer to that is there's no reason to believe that trying an e-cigarette is any different from trying one of the five or so other forms of nicotine replacement therapy. It's the same exact drug. And if an individual patient is using a safe version, it's even sourced out of the same pharmaceutical supply chains. So generally, my recommendation would be to stick with a regulated form of nicotine replacement rather than going outside the regulatory system and finding something that might not be safe or might not have a reliable amount of nicotine in it. This all may change if we have one of the manufacturers come out and either under regulatory system or other some sort of other system basically guarantee the amount of nicotine in the nicotine delivery in their device and document that. But until that can be guaranteed, until as a physician I could tell my patient, you know what, I know what's in the device you're going to use, and I can tell you that it's safe, and I can tell you you're going to get a reliable amount of nicotine, I'd continue to recommend that they pick one of the other forms of nicotine replacement. Thank you, Dr. Cobb.